This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, The Whistler is heard in the program entitled Death Comes at Midnight. A man dreams that he's going to be killed in 48 hours, and it looks like he's going to be proven correct. The dream was not brought on by a guilty conscience, as John's life has been above reproach. He loves his wife Clara and their grown daughter Florence, and he's done no wrong to any man. Why then this horrible dream with a prophecy of death? Let's find out how this story unravels. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. having a nightmare, John. Huh? Oh, good heavens, Clara. It was awful. I... I dreamed there was a man in this room and he stood right over me. And he said I was going to die. I was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. the whistler know many things for I walk by night I know many strange tales many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak and so I tell you tonight the strange story death comes at midnight John Prentice is a manufacturer a very busy man who needs his rest But John had a frightful dream. The dream was not brought on by a guilty conscience, for John's life has been above reproach. He loves his wife, Clara, and their grown daughter, Eva. He has done no wrong to any man. Why, then, this awful dream with its prophecy of death? Now, the following evening, the Prentices are planning to attend a lecture, and Dwight Cooper, Eva's fiancé, is going with them. The wife and daughter are in the living room awaiting his arrival. Oh, there's Dwight now, Mother. I'll go to the door. Oh, wait a minute, Eva. You'd better make sure who it is before you open the door. Oh, Mother, are you still worrying about that dream Daddy had last night? Well, I can't help being nervous about it. Well, of course it's Dwight. We're expecting him, aren't we? I'm going to let him in. Well, enter, my lord. Hello, darling. 
How come you're answering the door yourself? Maid's night out? <laughs> we haven't got a maid. She went to work in a war plant. Well, good for her. We're going to do without a maid for the duration. That's the spirit. Good evening, Miss Prentice. A good evening, Dwight. Now, you see, Mother, it wasn't a big bad wolf after all. Not this time. But we'd better be careful, Eva. Well, what's this about a big bad wolf? Mm, seems that Mother believes in dreams, Dwight. And last night, Dad had one that was really a honey. Oh, I don't believe in dreams. Oh, Daddy! Yes? Dwight's here, so hurry up. Come in, just a minute. <laughs> Talk about a woman taking her time dressing. Well, what about this dream? You tell him, Mother. Well, I don't believe that all dreams have a meaning... Uh, but uh, this one John had was a prophecy, and I'm concerned about it. Yes? He kept hearing a man's voice telling him over and over that he was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Murdered? Can you imagine such a thing? Oh, well, I wouldn't be alarmed, Mrs. Prentice. According to psychologists, a dream has no possible relation to the future. They say a dream comes from experiences of the past that have been registered in subconscious mind. Well, if John's been murdered in the past, I haven't heard about it. Oh, now, wait. I didn't mean it quite as literally as all that. Well, Mother's been counting the hours, Dwight. Let's see, the dream came at midnight last night. That means Dad's hour of doom is midnight tomorrow. If he isn't murdered sooner. Well, maybe we'd better not risk taking him to the lecture. Oh, huh? I wish you two wouldn't joke about it. I, I don't think it's any joking matter. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? There. He's busy right now. Could I take a message? Yeah. Tell him he better come to the phone, whether he's busy or not, if he wants to save his life. What? This is a matter of life and death. Oh. Well, hold the line a minute. Of all the amazing things, there's a man on the phone who sounds like a gangster. He wants to talk to Daddy about saving Daddy's life. His life? Maybe I'd better talk to him. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, get John on the phone. Call him, Eva. Oh, Daddy, you want it on the phone. It's important. All right, I'm coming. Oh, don't tell me that dream didn't mean anything. Oh, now, Mother, don't get excited. Well, just what did this fellow say? Well, he... Oh, here's Daddy. Well, hello, Dwight. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Oh, Daddy, wait. I don't know who that man is, but he's terribly hard-boiled, and he said I'd better get you to the phone if you want to save your life. What's this? Oh, John, I... I'll, I'll, I'll see what it's all about. Hello? Mr. Prentice? Yes? don't know me, but you better pay attention to what I'm telling you, see? A certain man here in town, a wealthy guy, has offered me a nice piece of dough to put you out of the way. What? But I want to be reasonable, see? So I'll consider... Hey, are you listening? Yes, yes, I, I, I'm listening. Go ahead. Well, if you want to hike the ante a little bit, say to three grand... I'll call off my deal with this guy. What's more, I'll give you his name. I see. Now, three grand's a small matter to you, so... Wait a minute. Suppose you come here to the house and we'll talk it over. Do I sound like a chump? You're coming to see me, and you're bringing the dough. Oh, no, I'm not. Think I'm going to walk into a trap? You mean you're turning down my proposition? I certainly am. All right, mister. You asked for it. You'll be a goner by midnight tomorrow. All right. So listen. Hello. 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 <laughs> midnight tomorrow. Now, not only in a dream, but in actual fact, John has been told that he will not live beyond that hour. 
John phones the police, and a few minutes later, Captain Arnold arrives at the house. Mr. Prentice, can you think of anyone who'd like to have you put out of the way for any reason at all? I... No. No, Captain, I really can't. Now, you've been in business a good many years. Uh, how about your business rivals? Well, of course, I've, I've made a certain amount of enemies, of course, yeah. but I... Don't think any of them would go so far as to hire somebody to kill me. Uh, you never can tell. Suppose you name some of your enemies. Oh, no. I... I'm afraid, Captain, I couldn't do that. Well, see here, why not? Well, frankly, because I, I might be causing an innocent person a lot of embarrassment. Oh, well, what of it? We've got to get to the bottom of this some way. Uh, have you had a quarrel with anyone recently? I know I, I haven't. Think carefully now. Well... Yes, yes, come to think of it, I did have a rather heated argument with a man the other day in my office. Oh, but I'm well, sure... Well, and who was he? I'd rather not say. Was he a wealthy man? Yes. Then tell me his name. Oh, no, Captain, I'd rather not. <laughs> if you'd go to his house and question him, I don't want... How can the police help you if you won't help yourself? Well, this is none of my business, Mr. Prentice, but if I were you... No, I... no, Dwight, there's no use arguing. Got my own ideas on the subject. Well... That's that, I guess. We'll have to conduct our investigation without your help, Mr. Prentice. Oh, by the way, Captain, I'd feel a lot safer if you'd send an officer out to watch the house tonight. Well, I brought a man with me. He's out in the car. I'll leave him here. Oh, that'll be fine. I'll leave the car, too, in case he needs it. Well, <clears throat> we'll do what we can, Mr. Prentice. Let us know the developments. Well, of course, and I want to thank you, Captain. Good night. Good night. Good night, Captain. So John is unwilling to give the name of the man with whom he quarreled. <laughs> is it really because he's concerned about the possible embarrassment of an innocent person? Tonight the house will be well guarded, and as an added protection, Dwight has agreed to stay in the Prentice home. John, feeling quite safe, has gone to bed and fallen into a sound sleep. Then, at exactly midnight... Oh, oh, let me go. Let me go. I don't want to die. Hey, John. No, no, don't throw me off the bridge, no. Wake up, John. Oh, no, no, no. Wake up, wake up, John. Uh, what? You're all right, John. You're in your room. Nothing's happening to you. Oh. You've been shouting your head off. Mother, Mother, what is it? Oh, your father's had another nightmare. I thought that was it. Yes, even. It was terrible. What kind of a dream was it? Like the other one? Oh, it was worse. Now I know how I'm going to die and when. Oh, you're not going to die. I'm afraid of What did you dream, John? He... He took me in a car to the old river bridge on Tower Street. Who took you? I don't know. I never saw him before. He tied my hands behind me with a rope and... When we got to the bridge, he dragged me out of the car and oh. threw me into the river. Oh, my just, just as we came to the bridge, I saw an illuminated clock. The hands were pointing to 12. That's when I'm going to die. Oh, Daddy. What time is it now? Well, it's after 12. Oh. Then it's tomorrow at midnight, just like that man said. Daddy, don't talk like that. This dream doesn't mean anything. What about my other dream? It meant something. No, it didn't. That phone call didn't have a thing to do with your dream. It was just a coincidence. Now, things will look different to you in the morning. Eva. Yes? Would you mind sending Dwight in here? But he's asleep, Dad. I know, but please send him in. I, I want to talk to him. No. All right. Well, 
Sit down, Dwight. They told me about the dream, Mr. Prentice. But I wouldn't let it bother me if I were you. I can't help being bothered. The dream was so vivid, Dwight. And it fits in so perfectly with what's happening in real life. Yes, I'll admit that's rather strange. The reason I sent for you... Well, if anything should happen to me, I want you to sort of take charge of things for Clara and Eva. How do you mean? I've made a will that takes care of my property, but there's my life insurance. It amounts to $100,000, and the money will have to be invested. I see. Who's the insurance payable to? Clara, but of course she knows nothing about investments. You advise her, will you, Dwight? I've got faith in your judgment. Yes. I'll be glad to help in any way I can. Come to think of it, I... I owe a payment on that policy right now. But the grace period isn't up for a couple of days yet. I'll make the payment if I'm still alive. Oh, I have an idea you'll be alive, all right. But as you say, if anything should happen, I'll be glad to advise Mrs. Prentice. Oh, I knew you would, Dwight. And thanks. Next morning, John announces that he will stay at home all day. Clara, upset by the events of the night before, remains in her room. But John is feeling much better. He views things differently with the coming of a new day. He will not yield to this feeling of inevitable doom. He will fight the situation. (laughs) Hello? Mr. Prentice? Oh, it's you again. Dwight, get on that extension in the library. Just, uh... I thought I'd call and ask if you've changed your mind. No, I have not. Much more, I defy you to even lay a hand on me. I'm being protected by the police. Well, ain't that fine. So you won't come across, huh? No, I won't. Look, Prentice, the water in that river is awful cold. What? What did you say? Hello? Hello? Dwight, did you hear that? What's the matter, Daddy? I heard every word. Sounded like he meant business. Something wrong? That man, he phoned me again. I don't know what to think. Well, what did he say? He he wanted to know if I changed my mind, and when I told him I hadn't, he he told me the water in the river would be awfully cold. What? How did he know about my dream? How did he know? Yeah, it's the most uncanny thing I ever heard of. What's the answer to all this? Daddy, he didn't know about your dream. It's just the other way around. Well, what do you mean? I'm afraid Mother's right. Your dreams are foretelling the future, Daddy. They're warning you of what's going to happen. Now John's spirits are crushed again. For if the dream told the truth, then his fate is sealed in spite of anything he can do. Dwight, however, is not ready to give up. He is annoyed with Eva for admitting her belief in the dream. Darling, for your father's sake, you shouldn't have said what you did, even though you believe it yourself. I know, Dwight. Perhaps I shouldn't have said it before I thought. But there must be something to those dreams. Yes, I know. You got me guessing. But look, Let's try to do something. Do what? I've been thinking about this quarrel your father had. He won't tell us the man's name, but maybe we can find out. How? Through your father's secretary. The quarrel took place in his office, you know. Oh, yes. Miss Edwards might know about it. Well, shall we get on and see her? But look, let's not tell her what we want the information for. The less we say about this situation, the better. And we'll give her some other reason. Yes. Get your coat and hat on, honey. We'll get out of my car. <laughs> Edwards, this is Mr. Cooper, my fiancé. How do you do? Yes, We'd like to ask you a few questions, if you can spare us a few moments. Why, yes, of course. My father isn't feeling very well today, and that's why he didn't come down. See, we've learned that he's rather upset about a heated argument he had recently with some wealthy man here at the office. Argument? Daddy won't talk about it. 
He hasn't even mentioned the man's name, but it's quite necessary that we find out all we can about it. And if you'll tell us who the man was, we'll treat the matter in confidence. But, uh, I don't know of any fuss your father had, Miss Prentice. He, he's quite an even-tempered man. Yes? Are you sure you don't remember? Very well. There was an argument. I, I couldn't hear what was being said. They were in your father's private office, but I did hear your father talking quite angrily with Mr. Reeves. Who's he? Milton Reeves. He's been in several big deals with Mr. Prentice. Oh. Couldn't you hear anything that was being said? No. Just their loud voices. Uh, Mr. Reeves was angry, too, but I really couldn't make out what they said. No? Well, at any rate, we've got something to go on, Eva. Yes. I think we'd better have a talk with Mr. Reeves. Thank you, Miss Edwards. You won't tell Mr. Prentice that I said anything, will you? And, or Mr. Reeves either? Oh, no. You can depend on that. I'm Dwight Cooper, Mr. Reeves. And this is Miss Prentice. How do you do, Miss Prentice? John Prentice's daughter, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, what is it, Mr. Cooper? I'm in a bit of a hurry. I, I'm going away on a trip this afternoon. I'll be very brief. We've heard that you and Mr. Prentice had some sort of a disagreement with each other a few days ago. Yes? Who told you that? Mr. Prentice is quite ill, Mr. Reeves, and we think it's a result of that quarrel. If we could find out something about it, we might be able to straighten him out. Well, John knows all about it. He won't talk about it, Mr. Reeves. He won't, eh? Well, John shouldn't let a thing like that get him down. Business is business, you know. He wanted me to renew a loan, and I refused to do it. So that was it. In his particular business, well... I, I don't know what the future will be with all this rationing and priorities. Had you promised to renew the loan? Well, as a matter of fact, I had. But I changed my mind, which is my privilege. John wanted me to wait a few days, said he was trying to borrow some money from the state mutual. But I didn't think it was good business to wait, so I called the loan. Oh, I see. I imagine that made him pretty angry. Did it? You'll pardon me, Miss Prentice, for talking so frankly about your father, but really, I never heard a man get so abusive in my life. Why, he actually threatened me. Yes? He acted like a schoolboy. Said he'd get revenge. Do you think he will get revenge? Oh, no, no, I... Oh, yes. You're afraid of him, aren't you? You'd like to arrange things so he couldn't possibly get revenge, wouldn't you, Mr. Reeves? Did you threaten him? Say, what are you getting at? I think you know what we're getting at. I do not. Now, see here. I've told you all I'm going to tell you, so now I'll ask you both to leave. Surely. You've told us quite enough, Mr. Reeves. <laughs> Dwight, hadn't we better go to the police station and tell Captain Arnold? No, darling, not yet. But I'm sure Reeves is the one who's hired that thug to kill your father. So am I. He said he was going on a trip. He wants to be out of the way when it happens, so he won't be suspected. Of course. But why shouldn't we have him arrested? I'd like to get more evidence first. I want to find out more about that loan. Who do you think could tell me? Well, Mr. McAdams ought to be able to tell you. He's the treasurer of Daddy's firm. All right, I'll go see him. Look, honey, suppose you take a taxi and go on home. See how things are getting along. Oh, Dwight, I... Please, honey, I may have to do some running around. Look, don't tell your father about this. Oh, no. All right, Dwight. But don't be gone too long. I won't tell him. But Dwight has been gone much too long to suit Eva. It is now 11.30 at night. Eva and her mother have become increasingly nervous as the clock kicks off the seconds, bringing the time closer and closer to midnight, John's last moment on earth. 
Oh, for heaven's sakes, Dwight, where have you been? We've been worried to death. Well, one thing led to another. Gadams had gone out in the country, but I finally caught up with him. Have you told the police about Mr. Reeves? No, I haven't. Where's Mr. Prentice? In the library. He's in a terrible state of mind, Dwight. He's got the door locked. He told the policeman to stand outside his window. Someone at the door. Oh, my heavens. Oh, why didn't that police... Now, don't get panicky, I'll see who it is. Open the wicket. Messenger boy. It might be a trick. It looks all right. Telegram for Mr. Prentice. All right, I'll take it. Sign here. There you are. Here. Oh, thanks, mister. I wonder who'd be... Mrs. Prentice, have I your permission to open this message? For certain reasons, I'd like to see who it's from. Why, yes, Dwight. Go ahead. What is it, Dwight? It's important. Very important. I've got to show it to your father right away. Mr. Prentice, open up. It's Dwight. Mr. Prentice. It's all right, Daddy. Unlock the door. Dwight's got a telegram for you. Hmm. Why doesn't he answer? Well, go outside and look through the window. The officer's out there. Come on. <laughs> Where is that officer, Eva? I don't see him. I don't know, Dwight. Daddy told him to stay right here by the window. Eva, look. The window's wide open. What? What's that? Oh, my heavens. There's the policeman on the ground. Something's happened to him. He's hurt. Officer. <laughs> officer. He's coming around. What happened? Uh, I, I seen a car drive up in the alley. Oh. Light-colored sedan. And just as I... I started to investigate. Somebody slugs me in the back of the head. That's, that's all I remember. And they got him. They've got Daddy. Darling, I'm, I'm going after that sedan. How do you know where it went? I'll find it. I'll drive to the Tower Street Bridge. I'm going with you. No, you stay here, Eva. And why does Dwight think he'll find the light-colored sedan at the Tower Street Bridge? Is it because Mr. Prentice saw that bridge in his dream... Or is there another reason? A reason known only to Dwight. But Eva can't wait, and so a moment later, another car speeds toward the bridge. The policeman's car. The officer is at the wheel, and Eva and Clara are by his side. Oh, officer, can't you go faster? I'm driving as fast as I can, Miss Prentice. Say, I'd better put in a radio call to headquarters and have them send a squad car to the other side of that bridge. No telling what we'll run into there. right ahead, officer. And there's the clock. What clock? The one Daddy saw in his dream. And look, it's midnight. I don't know nothing about the dream, Miss Prentice. All I, I see I a know... car out on the bridge. You see it? That's the baby. That's the one I saw at the house. Where's Dwight's car? Dwight's car isn't there. Oh, he must have got lost. Say, we'd better watch our step. The squad car ain't come to the other end yet. Oh, hurry, officer. Now, don't you get out of the car. You stay here. I'll see what's going on. Yes, but Hurry. All right, Miss Prentice. You and your mother can come here. Is Daddy there? There ain't a soul here. The car's deserted. Oh, it'll be too late. He's already done it. Who's done what? Oh, can't you remember anything I told you about Daddy's dream? I'm talking about that man. He's thrown Daddy in the water. Oh. Well, isn't there something we can do? Oh, it couldn't have happened very long ago. If 
Your father's been thrown in the river, Miss Fentress. He's a goner, but now nobody could swim in that current. But I can't figure out is why the guy left the car here. Oh, poor John. Hey, look. There's some rope in the back of the car. And a knife. He tied Daddy's hand. Hey, here comes the squad car now. They're coming in from the other end of the bridge. Oh, officer, who's this car registered to? Uh, wait a minute. By golly, there's no registration slip in it. I know who it belongs to. Milton Reed. I'll take the number and we'll check on it later. Well, what's up, Jack? Uh, it looks like there's some dirty work been going on here. Yeah? Well, maybe this guy knows something about it. Quit showing me, will you? Where'd you pick him up? He was running away from the bridge. Oh, he was, huh? All right, buddy. What do you know about this sedan? Not a thing. I wasn't on the bridge. Well, that's him. That's the man who threatened Daddy over the phone. I can tell by his voice. Well, now we're getting someplace. All right, you. Give. Where's Mr. Prentice? I don't know what you're talking about. You threw him into the river, didn't you? No. You're a liar. Come on, talk. I don't know nothing. We'll get you to talk at headquarters. few minutes later, the river's being dragged for Prentice's body. But what has become of Dwight? He hasn't been seen since he drove away toward the bridge. The two heartbroken women return home to wait for the sad news. They step into the house. Mrs. Prentice breaks into a sob. Oh, come, Mother. You must try to get hold of yourself. We must try to be brave. Oh, I know, dear. I know. <laughs> What has become of Dwight? Oh, I don't know what on earth could have happened to him. Eva, darling. Dwight, what are you doing there in the library? We thought you'd run out on us. Well, I haven't been here long. Oh, Dwight, it's terrible. I never dreamed such a thing was going to happen. No, no, just be patient, darling. I'll tell you everything. I told you I finally saw McAdams. Yes? Well, the story about the loan was a lot worse than we thought. I found that Reeves had a grudge against your father. So he planned to ruin him and get everything he had. And he did just that. By refusing to renew and calling the loan. He did it deliberately. He worked in a backhanded manner and wrecked the business. He held the paper on everything your father owned. Father? Father's broke? Yes. Reeves broke your father. Absolutely penniless. Reeves has the business, this house, everything. He pulled it so fast that your father hadn't a chance to get on his feet. When I found that out, I suspected the truth, but I wasn't sure till I got to that bridge. The truth? Then you did go to the bridge. I did. I got there just in time to prevent the tragedy. I pulled, pulled your father into my car by force, turned around on the bridge, and came back here. Uh, what are you saying? <laughs> he isn't dead. No, he's here, in the library. Oh, oh heaven. John, John. No, no, just a minute, oh, please. I'll bring him in. Come in, Miss Prentice. Oh, Father, thank heaven you're safe. John, what happened? I don't know how you feel, Mr. Prentice, but you better tell him. Yes, Dwight, I will. You see, my dears, I just couldn't bear the thought of my wife and daughter suffering poverty. The only thing I had left was that insurance policy, and it would have lapsed in another day. I had to think fast. John, you don't if mean... If I'd commit suicide while the policy was in effect, you'd get $100,000. But I wanted to spare you the disgrace of the suicide, so I decided to kill myself and make it appear as though I'd been murdered. <sighs> then, as I developed the plan, I got an inspiration. Why not hang the murder on Reeves, the man who had deliberately ruined me? That would be my revenge. Well, now you know the whole story. 
Now you understand the nightmares. But the telephone call... Well, I hired the man to make the calls and steal Reeves's car and drive me to the bridge and then give me the motor as though it had stalled. All so that my murder could be traced directly to Reeves, who really had a motive to kill me. What motive? Well, my secretary knew all about it. When I discovered it was Reeves who was back at my failure, I threatened to divulge something I knew about him. He flew into a rage. The secretary heard him, and that was just what I wanted. But I knew I couldn't raise the money quickly enough, and my insurance policy was up tomorrow at noon. Well, that's the story. And it's all a miserable mess. (laughs) Yes, John. It's all a very, very sad situation. Oh, but wait a minute. What about that telegram the boy delivered earlier? Where does that fit in? Was that part of your plan, John? Telegram? What telegram? Let me see it, Dwight. Why, it's... It's from the State Mutual. They've granted the loan I requested. Yes, John, they've granted the loan. Now you can straighten things out. Now you can get back on your feet again. But think, John, what a sad tale this would have been if you'd followed through with your plan and Dwight hadn't caught you on the bridge at midnight. <laughs> CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written by Herbert Connor, directed by J. Donald Wilson, and came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. (laughs) Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned now for Fibber McGee and Molly next up on Theater of the Mind. Well, let's join that talented married couple, Jim and Marion Jordan, as they star in the 1939 episode, Fibber Needs Glasses. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Donald Novice, The Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with The Best Things in Life Are Free. come indoors after a walk in the sunshine, does your home look as bright and cheery as you'd like to have it? Do your floors sparkle with a lustrous polish? If not, you'd better put some Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on those floors and on your linoleum, too. There's no hard work to it, no rubbing or buffing. Just spread glow coat lightly over the surface, let it dry for 20 minutes, and then see the beautiful glossy polish protecting your floors from dirt and wear. Now, there's a special sale right now on Johnson's self-polishing glow coat and Johnson's wax. 
in giant-sized cans containing one-third more than the regular sizes. When you buy a pint of Johnson's Wax or Glow Coat, you get a pint and one-third. When you buy a pound, you get a pound and one-third, and the one-third is free. Now, the supply of giant sizes is limited, and they're going fast. So see your dealer the first thing tomorrow morning. Ask him for the money-saving giant-sized cans of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. a pretty little scene at 79 Westful Vista. Molly is sitting by the window darning socks. And Fibber, that human dynamo of flashing energy, is trying to reach a newspaper lying on the floor without getting out of his easy chair. Aha! He makes it! <laughs> and that, friends, is the picture we present tonight of Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> Well, congratulations, McGee. Hmm. On what? Reaching the paper without getting out of that chair. <laughs> I guess you never heard it's good for you to stretch, Molly. That's what makes cats so healthy. They're always stretching. Oh. <laughs> well, turtles live longer and they don't stretch. <laughs> you know why turtles live so long. Why, Mr. Bone? <laughs> On account of they got a thick shell they can duck back under if they see they've stuck their neck out too far. <laughs> Heavenly days, McGee. How do you wear your socks out so fast? Look at them. Oh, well, they got to wear out sometime. Socks ain't immortal. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Well, what's in the paper, McGee? Huh? I said, what's the news in the paper? Uh, I don't know, Molly. What do you mean you don't know, Kent? Why, McGee, what's the matter, darling? Why do you look like that? There, there, there's something the matter with me, Molly. The, the, the type is all blurry. Oh. I can't make head nor tail of it. It, it all runs together. Well, uh, maybe you need glasses, dearie. Oh. You been having any headaches lately? No. Well, yes, I have. I, I had a terrible one the morning after that party at the Elks Club. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that wasn't from any lack of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> You're going downtown and see a good optimist. You mean optometrist. I mean oculus. Maybe you mean optician. I mean a man who examines you for glasses, Igernet. <laughs> I don't want to wear glasses, Molly. This is just a temporary condition. Oh, yeah? That's what my grandfather said when people stopped buying his buggy whips. <laughs> you know what you got? No. You got a pigmastism. <laughs> you really think I have? The pigmatism is pretty bad, ain't it? Why, why, well, uh, why, it's terrible. <laughs> Get your hat now. You're going downtown for some glass. Oh, Molly, let's wait a while. My eyes is all right if I rest them. Now, come on, dearie. You worry me. Oh, shucks. Besides, you look real distinguished in spectacles. Say, I bet I will at that. I'll get me a pair of the pinched nose kind with a black ribbon. Uh, people will probably think I'm a banker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you get them with blinkers on so they'll think you're a horse, but get them. <laughs> I wonder how you locate a good eye doctor. I'll ask information on the telephone. 
Hello, operator. Say, who's the best I'd... Uh... Oh, is that you, Mert? It's Mert, Molly. Get to the point, gossip. <laughs> Hello, Mert. Say, you know a good eye doctor in town? Who? Oh, Dr. Gildersleeve, eh? Where's his office? 14th and Oak. Well, thanks, Mert. How's everything with you? What? Your cousin? What? Oh, that's terrible. Oh, my. Where did it happen, Mert? What? Oh, Princeton, eh? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He was a nice guy, too. Oh, my. Well, well, don't take it too hard, Mert. Oh. And thanks for the information. So long, Mert. What was that, McGee? She lost her cousin in an accident. Oh, dear. He was a college student. Oh, what happened? He got swallowed by a goldfish. <laughs> bound to happen, folks, either on this program or some other one. And we promise we'll have no more goldfish jokes, folks. Yep. We hereby sign the guppy pledge. <laughs> Hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Want your pictures took setting on a pony? <laughs> no, we don't. Me? She says, no, we don't, old-timer. We don't like them trick pictures. Not since somebody's seen our wedding picture with me sitting down and Molly's hand on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and they tried to book us for a ventriloquist act. <laughs> That's pretty good, kids. But that ain't the way I heard it. No. The way I heard it, one fire says to the other fellow, See? I can't go to the Kentucky Derby next week. Lost too much money on the horse last year. Is that so, says Tuller Feller. Was he a favorite in the winter book? Must have been, says the first feller. He run like he had snowshoes on. <laughs> oh, it always makes me stop and think, youngsters, when I see a three-year-old horse make a chump out of a 40-year-old man. <laughs> Duffer's got something there, Molly. That's the way it is with all the horses I ever bet on. If they see it's going to be a photo finish, they stop and pose. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I says they'd stop and pose. Ah, uh, ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> Chucks, I rather liked it. <laughs> Say, listen, are you going to go down and buy you some glasses? Are you going to neglect your eyes so... Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going right away. But don't take it so serious, Molly. My eyes ain't really bad. Oh, no? No. Well, then take my sewing basket off your head and put your hat on. <laughs> I thought that brim seemed kind of narrow. <laughs> oh, hi, Billy. Oh, I was just leaving. Well, can't you wait a few minutes? Don Novus is going to sing my reverie. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Oh, I'd love to hear it, Mr. Mills. McGee's got to run down and get him a pair of glasses. Yeah, glasses? Yeah, I got a pigmatism or, or something, really. <laughs> Must have strained my eyes. I was afraid that would happen. The type of those old joke books is terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, let me tell oh, you. Oh, his eyes aren't awfully bad, Billy. Well, these eyes aren't too good. You know what happened to him on the train going to California? No, what was that? Well, he had his smoke glasses on, and when he passed a mirror, he mistook himself for the porter and tipped himself three dollars. <laughs> I 
never done no such a thing. Why, of course you didn't, dearie. No. Not three dollars. <laughs> now, you run along whilst I listen to Mr. Nobus sing my reverence. All right. Well, see you later, Molly. So long, Billy. Take it, Don. Dr. Gildersleeve in? Yes, sir. With reference to what did you wish to see him about, sir? <laughs> He's I, Dr. Annie. Yes, sir. What'd you think I wanted to see him about? Raising petunias? Just a minute, sir. Hello, doctor. And Mr. McGee is here to see you about raising petunias. <laughs> I am not. You're not what, sir? A petunia. I mean, I didn't... Dad read it. It's about my eye. Oh, correction, doctor. He's changed his mind about the petunias. Now it's his eyes. Yes, doctor. Will you have a chair, sir? The doctor will see you very shortly. Thanks. Move over a little, will you, bud? Thanks. Oh, that's okay, buddy. Which doctor are you waiting to see? Oh, none of them. They just hired me to sit here so it'll look like a busy joint, see? <laughs> well, say, you know anything about this Dr. Gildersleeve? He's a pretty good eye man, ain't he? Oh, he's wonderful. Mm -hmm. He treated me uncle for 15 years. That's all. Me uncle kept bumping into things, chairs and tables and stuff. Mm -hmm. Couldn't even walk downstairs alone. Oh, gee. What'd the doc find wrong with him? 
Nearsighted? No, drunk. <laughs> For 15 years, huh? That was a snappy diagnosis. Good thing your uncle didn't have the seven-year itch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, what's your trouble, buddy? I don't know. Touch of a pigmastism, I think. Ah, uh, you don't mean a pigmastism. You mean a strigmatism. <laughs> That's what I says, a prismastigum. Yeah. Hey, uh, nurse. Yes, sir. Uh, can the doc do anything about black eyes? Oh, yes, sir. He can fix them right up, sir. That's well. My girl's got black eyes, and I like blue ones better. I'll send her in. <laughs> right guy. I suppose he'll be back for an eye wash because his girl gave him a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what you laughing at, mister? Oh, hello there, little girl. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, you waiting to see the doctor, too? Sure. Nothing serious, I hope. Sure. Sure what? Hmm? I, oh, skip it. <laughs> There's something wrong with your eyes? I hope you ain't been reading in bed too much. Oh, you mean stories like Mother Goose and Jack and the Beanstalk and Little Red Riding Hood? Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> well, then what is the matter with your eyes? Oh, I bet you there's nothing the matter with them, I bet you. Well, then what you waiting to see the doctor for? Well, gee, mister, I... Hmm? Oh. <laughs> Shucks, just let it go, sis. Sure. Hey, mister, you know what? No, what? Hmm? Oh. <laughs> I says, no, what? I got a turtle and a chicky and a puppy and a kitty. And when the doctor comes out, I'm going to have a duck, too, I bet you. <laughs> you are, huh? <laughs> well, is the doctor going to give you a duck? No, but I'm going to wait till he lays an egg. <laughs> the duck? No, the doctor. My papa says he's just an old quack. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this doc ain't a quack. Hey, nurse. Yes, sir. What's Doc Gildersleeve's first name? Donald. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm afraid of that. I don't seem to be able to. I tell you, doctor, I feel like a new woman. And to think I never thought of that treatment myself. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilcox. Dr. Wilcox. That's quite all right, Mrs. Jones. And remember, no heavy housework. You keep on using the Johnson's glow coat I prescribed for your floors and linoleum. Just pour out a little and spread it around with the long-handled applier, and I promise you, you'll never have that backache again. It's a marvelous treatment. My floors look simply wonderful. And Johnson's glow coat keeps floors from wearing out, too, doesn't it, Doctor? Yes, indeed, Mrs. Jones. But we're just as much interested in keeping floors from wearing out people as we are to keep people from wearing out floors. Ah, listen to that guy, will you? When he was a bouncing baby, they didn't know he'd grow up into a medicine ball. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, Mrs. Jones. Oh, there's more. <laughs> Mrs. Jones, you've been worrying too much about your budget. I'd suggest you get some of those special giant-sized cans of Johnson's Wax or Glow Coat with the extra third free before they're all gone. Oh, thank you, Dr. Wilcox. Don't mention it, Mrs. Jones. <laughs> hey, Harpo. Oh, hello, Fibber. Hey, what is this? Thank you, Dr. Wilcox. Don't mention it, Mrs. Jones. 
Sounds like Gallagher and Sheen in an ambulance. <laughs> when did you get to be a doctor? Oh, I'm not a regular doctor, but I run a floor clinic in this building. Dr. Wilcox, Ph.D. Ph.D.? Oh, doctor of philosophy. No, perfect housekeeping department. <laughs> well, excuse me now, pal. I've got several patients waiting. <laughs> that guy's in a different job every week. He sold glow coats so long, he just can't help spreading himself around. <laughs> Come back again next week, Mrs. Weedledeck, and I'll fit you for glasses. Oh, no, you don't, Sonny. No glasses for me. No, sir. <laughs> What's the matter, Grandma? You ain't too vain to wear spectacles, are you? No, Shorty, but why should I wear them? I've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> Merry old soul, but a little run down. <laughs> you ready to see me, Doc? I'm in a kind of a hurry. Oh, I certainly. Come in, Mr. McGee. Okay, bud. Now then, uh, just what seems to be the trouble? Well, I got a pigmatism or something. I tried to read a newspaper this morning, and, and the type got all blurry and run together. Is that so? Probably a slight conjunctivitis of the inferior corona. Right. Uh, close your eyes tight. Okay. You see anything? No. Nope. Very interesting. <laughs> Uh, any history of eye trouble in your family? Only my cousin Sanford. Blondes made him wink. Hey, bless. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Well-known disease. We call it peroxidus flirtatious. <laughs> One usually outgrows it, though. <laughs> now, just sit here a moment while I adjust the pupilometer. <clears throat> Steady now. Okay, bye. Oh, splendid. What is it? They turned on my current again. Somebody must have paid my light bill. <laughs> now, while I hold my hand over your left eye, McGee, you read the top line on that chart over there. Uh, ready? Yep. Uh, what does it say? It says M-K-N-P-G-X-B-T. Very good. Now the other eye. Read the same line. M-K-N-P-G-X-B-T. Oh, boy, my eyes are worse than I thought. I read it twice, and it still don't make sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's very good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> now, try these spectacles on for size, McGee. That's it? How's that? Oh, say, these are wonderful, Doc. I can see just as plain. Is that so? <laughs> Those are just the frames. I haven't put the lenses in yet. <laughs> now, uh, uh, try these lenses, McGee. Left lens and right lens. Uh -huh. Now then, better? Oh, great. How much I owe you, Doc? Uh, $25. And well worth it, too. Here you are. Thank you. Come in again next week, McGee, and we'll check your reaction. Okay, Doc. Boy, these are wonderful glasses. Why? I can see a guy out the window there, and it, why, it looks like I could just reach right out and touch him. Yeah, you can. That's the window washer. Yeah. <laughs> Good day, McGee. Basement Street, Basement Street. It's street where folks all meet, where you can lose. Lose your blues. Oh, come along with me. Down the Mississippi. Down the river, down to New Orleans. Friends there meet us. Old friends greet us. There the dark and light folks meet. Heaven on earth, they call it Basin Street. Basin Street is the street where the elite always meet in New Orleans, land of dreams. You never know how nice it seems just to be there with me. We're welcome free. Yes, 
Rotary where I gamble My Baton Street Blues Oh, that's the street, yeah, it's the street Where light and dark folks always meet for oh, wow. Oh, Baton Street, yeah, that's the street Where the elite you'll always meet for oh, wow. Oh, Baton Street, come along with me That's where the dark and light folks meet. They call it Basin Street. Basin Street, Basin Street. It's the street where folks all meet. Where you can lose, you can lose the blues, blues, the blues, blues. Lose your blues on Basin Street. Kids. Folks, that was the four notes singing the Basin Street Blues. Boy, are these spectacles wonderful. Probably changed my whole appearance, too. I bet nobody recognizes me in these new spectacles. Oh, how do you do, Mr. McGee? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely day, isn't it? Oh, hi, Eppy. Yes, it is now, but it looked kind of bad for a while when I thought my eyes was on the bum. I got to wear these glasses. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I should wear them myself, you know, but I think it ages a girl so, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> You age a lot faster if you can't see where you're going, I bet. <laughs> Besides, I seen you at the theater the other night with glasses. You had them on a little stick. Oh, yes, yes. My lorgnette. Oh, that's the idea of the handle on them. Your nose tender? <laughs> Please, Miss McGee, that is ridiculous. That's just what I told Molly. I says, Molly, get a load of uppy. She's got her cheaters on stilts. <laughs> Thinks they're very distinguished, and of course they are quite de rigueur at the theater. Quite what? <laughs> quite de rigueur. Oh well, don't worry about that. They always fog up when you come into a warm place from outside. Why, <laughs> oh, sure. Well, when mine do that, I just wipe them off on the side of my pants, and I don't know why you can't do the same. Uh, <laughs> you got married to Boomer, I think. Why? I says, when are you getting married to Boomer, Uppy? Oh, 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 yes, yes. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to be married in June, Miss McGee. And, oh, oh I'm such, I am such a happy girl. Just counting the golden days as they slip by. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to be in love and watch the unfolding of another person's character under the gentle influence of tender emotions? <laughs> well, don't tell me Boomer's character is unfolding. <laughs> I'd like to see that. I'll bet even when it's completely unfurled, you could still tuck it in the back of a small wristwatch. <laughs> oh, but really, he has a beautiful character, Mr. McGee. Is that so? Yes, oh, yes. Now, for instance, I discovered him reading a little booklet the other day on the prevention of cruelty to animals. Oh, oh I was so pleased, really. Yeah, I bet you were. What was the name of the book, Uppy? Uh, let me see. Um, oh, yes, yes. It was called You Can't Beat the Ponies. <laughs> Dear, just as if anyone would want to beat a dear little pony. <laughs> but you see, Mr. McGee, it's just those little things which make me so sure of Horatio. Uh-huh. Or do you think I'm being just a silly girl? <laughs> oh, well, it's so nice to have seen you, Mr. McGee. Goodbye. So long, Abby.
You can't beat the ponies. <laughs> Old Uppy may belong to the upper crust, but she's beginning to crumble. <laughs> Boy, are these glasses wonderful. I'll have to hurry in and show them to Molly. Hey, Molly, I done it. Look. Oh, they're nice, aren't they? <laughs> Can you see good through? Swell, where's that newspaper I was trying to read this morning? Right where you threw it, careless. Under the chair. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I can really read it. Boy, is this going to be a pleasure. Oh. Come in. Oh, hello there, Cupid. Hello, Fisher. How's every little... Well, for scream sake, Fisher, when are you starting in to be wearing skepticals? <laughs> Spectacles, Nick. I just got them. Pretty doggy, eh? Yeah. His eyes were getting a little weak, Mr. Uh, DePopolis. Yeah. They look nice on him, don't they? Kind of distinguished looking. Oh, sure. As a matter of fact, I was saying to somebody last night that if anybody should be extinguished, it is my friend Fizzer. <laughs> you mean distinguished, Nick. Extinguished means to get put out. Well, for once, I guess I know what I'm talking about then, if I know what you mean. <laughs> ah, but all of the kidding over on one side, Fizzer... Those skepticals are very be-going to you. Hmm? Be-going? Oh, you mean becoming, Mr. DePopolis. Well, going or coming, Cupid, they're the nuts, I'm thinking. <laughs> wait till I show you how I can read with them. Well, speaking of newspapers, Fisher, the reason... Now, wait a I... minute, Nick. Wait, wait till I try these glasses on this small tie. Yes, but, oh. Fisher... Oh, McGee, what's the matter? Molly, I, I still can't read. The type still runs all together. Oh, well, you got the wrong glasses then. That ratted anyway, and I thought I was all set. Why, look, it even makes me dizzy to look at the headlines. But listen, if you're letting me get an edge in wordways... <laughs> well, uh, what is it, Mr. DePopolis? That is the newspaper I'm leaving here by mistake last night. Well, what of it? That's a Greek newspaper. What? <laughs> a, a Greek newspaper? Heavenly day. Then I don't need glasses or my... Oh, sure. <laughs> to extend our congratulations and best wishes to the Johnson Wax people in Racine, Wisconsin, who this week opened their beautiful new office building designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And it's the most modern and unique building of its kind in the world. Indeed it is. And if you're touring around this summer, folks, why, they'd be glad to have you drop in and look it over. It's well worth a visit. Yeah, and while you're there, if, if you should happen to remember that you need some glow coat or some furniture polish... McGee. Huh? Oh, good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if the community in which you live does not observe daylight saving time, River McGee and Molly will come to you one hour earlier beginning next week. Please consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing local at Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. 
Tomorrow night, it's The Six Shooter, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.